Good afternoon, everyone. This is Anthony Pudlow, Vice President of Professional Affairs at the Iowa Pharmacy Association. Thank you for tuning in to this month's Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast series. I'm joined here today by Sue Mears, Compliance Officer with the Iowa Board of Pharmacy. And we just want to uh, discuss the, the agenda items that were um, discussed today at the August 30th, 2017 Board of Pharmacy meeting that occurred in the open session. Um, Sue, thanks for joining us today, and I know the, the Board of Pharmacy had quite a bit of discussion today on quite a few uh, pieces of rules that, that you guys are evaluating. Um, not only was there quite a bit of discussion around some rules that were adopted and filed, or in a sense moving forward with official rulemaking, but others that were actually proposed um, through a notice of intended action. Um, what I'd like to do for today, why don't we start with some of those notice of intended actions. I know the Board of Pharmacy over the last several months and even year and a half or so has been really going through a full refresh of your rules, taking a close look at some of these things. But one of the notice of intended actions I'd say um, was in Chapter 8 of the Board of Pharmacy rules that focused on prescriber-patient relationships. Um, and I think specifically there was areas in section uh, or chapter 8 rule 20 or 8.20 that uh, clarified some issues around refills. Um, can you maybe speak to where the Board of Pharmacy was coming from as you drafted these new notice of intended action rules? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Anthony. Um, the Board um, has gets a lot of questions over um, over the last few years about what a pharmacy or pharmacist should be doing with the uh, remaining refills on a prescription for a patient when the prescriber discontinues his practice or moves out of state um, or what have you. And so our rule to this point has been a little um, contradictory in that it says that once the practitioner relationship ends that the pharmacist shall um, cancel any remaining refills, um, but then it says that the, you know, the pharmacist can still take care of the patient. So that causes some confusion. So the board wanted to give some reassurance to pharmacists that they want uh, pharmacists to be taking care of patients until they can uh, get a new practitioner. Um, so there's an amended uh, proposed rulemaking that would amend that rule um, that would take away that requirement of canceling the refills and give pharmacists that leeway to, to make a determination of how long to appropriately fill those refills um, while the patient's trying to find a new practitioner. So really trying to help pharmacists have that great relationship to understand, hey, we don't want to discontinue therapy. We want you to maintain um, whatever medication regimen you're on. But again, yeah. trying to help them get a new healthcare provider in that, in yeah. that process. Yeah, they, just, so. they don't want disruption of therapies yeah. and they, they want pharmacists to be able to take care of the patient's needs. That makes sense. Yep. So again, this is a, a notice of intended action. Correct. So yeah. these are now going um, upon knowing that the Board of Pharmacy approved that notice, mm -hmm. they'll go for an open comment period, correct? Yeah. Once they're filed, they'll get published um, in the Administrative Rules Bulletin and then they'll be put out for public comment for okay. a few weeks. Yep. So that people can put in comments. So again, I know we've referred it referred to this website in the past, but the rules.iowa.gov website is a great open mm -hmm. forum for anybody. Once they get um, those comments get uh, um, noticed, you can um, do this individually or, or communicate through the association or other mechanisms through your employer to share your comments on those proposed rules. So that's great. Well, why don't we go to another proposed uh, rule change that the board had, and that um, related to uh, Chapter 6 within general pharmacy practice. 
And I think this was um, an area that the board saw as part of that five-year uh, general cleanup or review of rules, um, but it really focused on storage of uh, prescription files. Um, and I know in the last couple, really the last couple of years since I've been attending Board of Pharmacy meetings, I know the board has had a lot of waiver requests that relate to this topic. So, um, Sue, can you maybe just speak to what the board was seeing in the past and what might have triggered this um, this change and, and, and proposed these new rules? Yeah, sure. So, you're right. Um, the board has been uh, taking a look, overall review of all administrative rules um, which is required by the legislature to be done every five years. So we've been really trying to uh, get a good look at all of the, the rules. And so chapter six was a general review. Um, but one of the specific rules that uh, the rules committee wanted to focus on was on storage of records. And like you said, um, I've been with the board for a little over five years and there have been a number of waiver requests for records. And so the board's current rule requires um, two years of, of all pharmacy records with one year having to be physically in the pharmacy department and the second year can be outside the pharmacy department but still within the physical structure of the building and secure. Um, so the waivers usually are asking for an alternative off-site location for that second year of records. Um, so the board, um, well the rules committee in particular and the board now today agreed um, that it was time to give that a different look um, and give pharmacies an opportunity to have that second year of records off-site at a secure physical location um, as long as they could get those records back to the pharmacy within 48 hours of a request if you know, we're there for an investigation sure. and whatnot. Um, but then also the board was willing to um, allow pharmacies to have all of their records, including last month's records, off-site in a secure um, physical location if they had an electronic digital copy of mm -hmm. those records in the pharmacy immediately available for review of a compliance officer sure. when, when we walk in. And that makes sense. I know more yeah. and more um, clinics and prescribers are moving to electronic prescribing or even pharmacy mm -hmm. software systems can scan, scan in a yeah. hard copy. So that yeah. makes sense. It seems like the board is really trying to align with what you're seeing yeah. is currently happening in yeah. practice. So. And I think probably invoices, wholesaler invoices are kind of oh, the same way where sure. they may get a, a hard copy in with their order, but they're also they would have access to a hard copy or an electronic copy uh, through their wholesaler's website. So that sure. would be another option. Okay. So that is definitely, I think, a big component that um, the, the, the board is really taking into consideration yeah. with this new um, proposed amendment. So again, if you have feedback um, for our listeners out there, you can always provide uh, comments and support or other areas of focus within that chapter six um, proposed rule changes. So. Yeah. I guess another area, um, as you can tell, there's quite a bit on the agenda today, but um, another notice of intended action related to Chapter 21 and, and actually a couple other components around electronic records and even, um, I believe, in uh, Chapter 9 also that focuses also on AMDS. Um, Sue, can you maybe just speak to what maybe the board was looking at doing with, with, this, um, with this notice of intended action? Yeah, of course. So you're right. The board's been very busy in the rules. It's been very busy with a lot of, uh, a lot of activity. Um, so this notice of intended action, um, in part, uh, seeks to rescind Chapter 9. Um, and if you recall, Chapter 9 is uh, the chapter that currently addresses AMDS systems as well as telepharmacy. And since the board recently adopted and the rules will become effective on September 6th, a whole new chapter for telepharmacy rules, um, it's important for the board to at least carve out and get rid of the rules regarding telepharmacy in Chapter 9 so that there's not any confusion or overlap um, um, or conflict. 
Um, and so as part of that overall five-year review, you know, we also took a look at Chapter 9 and um, decided that AMDS systems are incredibly commonplace in pharmacy now. Um, and the need for such detailed rulemaking and notice requirements and um, reporting to the board simply isn't um, necessary anymore. So um, the board was willing to pare down those rules quite severely. Um, so from Chapter 9, we kind of identified those core minimum mm -hmm. uh, standards of practice that the board felt were necessary um, for accountability, security, um, and whatnot for AMDS and then just put that into a single rule, into okay. chapter 21. Um, so from what was half a chapter is now addressed in one single rule. So I'm really <laughs> excited about that um, to really cut back um, um, just on something that's, the systems are are so high tech um, mm -hmm. and they're, they're secure and, and they're accountable. Um, so as long as the pharmacy has their policies and procedures and barcode scanning um, and, and they operate the, the yeah. system in the way it's designed, the board doesn't really need to have special notice or reports otherwise anymore. So It seems like the board's almost taken a little bit of a, a hands-off. They trust right. what's going on in right. practice. And yeah. um, well, if there is any questions, that's where the compliance absolutely. team and the board would really ask for their questions. Yeah. And I'm sure when those systems first came to be, the board just was trying to be overly cautious and wanted to make sure that they were mm -hmm. conservative and make sure that they had all the bases covered and because they, they just weren't familiar with yeah. those systems. So okay. they're, they're a lot more prevalent. Now, so. <laughs> so again, another notice of intended action, meaning that these will um, go through the legislative approval process, but will go for public comment um, where everybody can um, provide their, their, their own opinion on, on what those rules mean. Correct. Well, outside of those, and there's, and I know we're not covering all the notice of intended actions that were discussed today and voted on, but why don't we talk about at least one of the chapters I know that the, the board voted to adopt and file new rules around. Um, that being within chapter 10 on controlled substances, as well as some other related changes. So, um, Sue, I know um, at least the one area that the board, um, there was a lot of different components in here, but at least one area I think that the board did not touch on this was maybe this issue around what to do when maybe a pharmacy has a controlled substance prescription that's been on file. Right. Um, can you maybe just speak to maybe why the board didn't take action on that for right now, or maybe sure. some of the other components in that in that new adoption and filing? Yeah, rule. yeah, sure. So this uh, rulemaking for uh, adoption um, to rescind Chapter 10 and adopt a new Chapter 10 in its place, and then amend other chapters for the for references to chapter 10 had a few highlight pieces that I think are important for pharmacies um, and one is that it uh, the rulemaking will allow pharmacy technicians to be involved in the transaction of a Sudafed purchase mm -hmm. um, which I think is big um, it will remove the requirement of the pharmacist to initial each line of the 222 form um, I think for the longest time we thought <laughs> that it was um, a DEA requirement but it actually isn't so we're carving that piece out um, which is nice. And then it will also specifically authorize um, a partial filling of a C2 prescription when it's um, at the request of the patient or the prescriber um, that is a result of the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery yeah, Act of last mm -hmm. July. Yep. So there wasn't anything in Iowa code or Iowa rule that would have prevented or prohibited a pharmacy from doing that now. Um, this is just a way to give reassurance to pharmacies that, that they, they can. can. Do that. Okay. Yeah, because we identify and rule the other scenarios where they can partial fill a C2. So mm -hmm. this just gives them that extra um, reassurance that they can do that. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, you mentioned that an on-hold electronic prescription, um, the DEA had recently done a PDAC conference in Iowa, and one of the topics of discussion was if a pharmacy can um, 
you know, what they can do with an electronic controlled substance prescription that they don't want to fill, that it wants to be, um, patient wants it filled in another pharmacy, um, and some pharmacies are interpreting DEA rules to say they can't transfer that mm. if it's never been filled. And so DEA um, provided some guidance, and so we wanted to include that guidance in our rulemaking, um, but we just felt like we needed more specific guidance from DEA to make sure okay. that they understand in reality how that process works in a pharmacy. And yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if they totally get that all the pharmacies aren't electronically connected. Um, mm -hmm. So it's fine for one Walgreens to maybe transfer to another Walgreens internally in their system, but between chains or between independents, they wouldn't be able to just electronically transfer that okay. C2. So really the, the issue comes down to the C2s. The yeah. C3 through 5s, um, I think, are not so much of an issue. But sure. Well, it's good to know, though, that yeah. the board is still working with the DEA yep, to still, get some clarification. Yeah. Because I know right now there's probably, I think the last time I saw some numbers, we still have a very small percent of, of prescribers out there that are e-prescribing controlled substances to pharmacies. So I think true. as we see that effort move forward, um, it would be great to have further guidance, especially as we yeah. see pharmacies start seeing that yeah. more. Absolutely. So great to hear. And I know those, those rules will kind of go through the approval process and should likely take effect here probably in the next, what, month or two months, I'm assuming? I can't, I, it's hard to know yeah. the exact date. I know it, it does vary. Yeah, once they get filed and published, then they become effective 35 days after the oh, date of publication. Thank you. So it's a kind of a timeline we'll yeah, have to when watch they get for filed them. and then published and okay well i know that's something that ipa and our communications has been really trying to make sure as you watch the top five newsletters we try to highlight when some of these new rules mm -hmm. take effect so i encourage you to do that or if you haven't um, feel free to always um, subscribe i know to the board of pharmacy has a newsletter as well through their website once you go um, online you can always subscribe your email that way to receive updates from the board so i think with that i'd like to just uh thank everybody for listening that uh, is a quick rundown of some of the key points that I think came forward in today's uh, August 30th, uh, 2017 Board of Pharmacy meeting. Um, we look forward to those, um, again, listening to us as we uh, go to the next Board of Pharmacy meeting, which will occur at the end of October. Um, so in a few short weeks, we'll be back online again. So thanks again for listening and have a great day.